Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I'd like you to turn back to the book of Revelation chapter 1, just as we finish on last week's lesson and then move on to what we're sharing tonight. We'll just read verses 1 through to 4, just um, because of our time, just to refresh our memory. And believe it or not, we are studying the second coming epistles in the epistles to the Thessalonians, but uh, launching in from Revelation. Okay, Revelation chapter 1, and just verses 1 through to 4. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel, or literally his messenger, unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and be unto you in peace from him which is and which, and, uh, which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. May the Lord bless that portion to our hearts. Now last week we were particularly looking at the sevenfold uh, chain of communication and uh, we saw how the, this sevenfold chain of communication began first of all with God the Father and then God the Father speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ and as we saw that Jesus in his earthly ministry in his humanity did not know all the exact time or the details of his second coming though he did give a panoramic view of it but as I said last week I believe that when Jesus ascended up on high and the Father said to the Son sit thou on my right hand until I make all thine enemies thy footstool that, that that's when the Father gave to the Son uh, the full details of the revelation of the order of events in this uh, church age and right through the second coming. And so we have the revelation from God the Father, which he gave to his Son, which God gave unto him, the Son, the head of the church. And then number three, we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, sent and signified by his messenger, uh, or the angel as we've got here. And as we saw last week, I trust that uh, this angel was not just one of the angelic beings, an ordinary angel, but uh, was a person of the prophets. Um, let me just uh, reiterate where we finished off last week for those who were not here. And uh, remember what I'm saying here is a scriptural assumption. It's not presumption, which is outside the book. Just hold up your hands if you need last week's lesson. Uh, it's not a presumption outside the book. It's a scriptural assumption. And so, as we saw together, uh, this mysterious messenger was spoken of as a messenger or an angel uh, and he called himself a fellow servant of John and he was of the brethren and I don't think angels are our brothers and he said I have the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy and so my uh, suggestion to you last week or implication was this in the Old Testament God translated three men alive from heaven to from earth to heaven Enoch in the patriarchal dispensation, Moses in the law period, and Elijah in the prophets. You'll notice three witnesses, Enoch, 
in the patriarchal dispensation, Moses from the law, Elijah from the prophets. And uh, one of the things that generally most Christians, I would say, haven't got a clue, well, why did God translate these men? In every dispensation, as we say, God has manifested resurrection or translation power. Translation power for Enoch, resurrection, translation power for Moses, translation power for Elijah. And how many believe that when Jesus comes back the second time, there's going to be some resurrection, translation power manifested? So God never does anything in the future that he hasn't already demonstrated in the past, in seed form. And one of the things, as I said, that most Christians seem to miss because we don't think, think, think. Why did God translate Enoch from heaven? Why was he number seven? Why did he prophesy, not of the first coming, but prophesy the second coming? Why did God bury Moses and raise him from the dead? Why did God translate Elijah? These men didn't finish their ministry, yet they were witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And I believe that the scripture, as we study these men as a whole, and that's a study in itself, as we realize that all these men are second coming men. They are last day men. Elijah prophesied, uh, pardon me, Enoch prophesied the second coming. Moses, and as I said last week, by implication, we have in the book of Revelation, or first of all the Gospels as we've got here, we have Moses and Elijah particularly named, so there's no mistaking them. They were particularly named uh, in, in the Gospels. They appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why did those two appear? They've been up in the glory world for so many years. Why did Moses and Elijah appear and talk to Jesus and the James and Peter, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration in the first three and a half years of the 70-week prophecy? Why didn't Enoch turn up there? And why is it that when we get to the book of Revelation that deals with another three and a half years, so the church age, as we refer to it, is bounded by three and a half years, half a week, three and a half years, half a week, the beginning and end of the church age. And Moses and Elijah here, and by implication we have in Revelation, some two prophets called my two witnesses. One shuts up heaven that it rained not for three and a half years. Who did it? Elijah back there, he's already had three and a half years. And uh, the other prophet turns waters to blood. Who did it? Moses. Smites earth with plagues. Who did it? Moses already did that back there. So what they did back there when they were on earth before they were translated to heaven is repeated again by them in the book of Revelation, even though they're not named. Although most accept that the uh, scriptures are clear, Elijah must come again. But uh, we have indication here. All right, my suggestion to you, and as I said, it's a scriptural assumption, is that the third messenger that's unnamed, that is a messenger of the Lord, a fellow servant of John, of the brethren, uh, of the prophets, that should be in there, of the brethren, the prophets, not an angel, having the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy, who would be more suitable to bring to John the details of the second coming, Moses, Elijah, Enoch. Okay? Uh, when you get to heaven, you can ask him if this was right. Is that all right? So I believe myself that uh, it possibly was Enoch. All right, now let's move on from that uh, uh, assumption to the next uh, part of our message, okay? So, so me putting it on the board again. All right, so the chain of communication comes from God the Father, who's the source of all knowledge, and then to the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the Son of God. And so God the Father has nothing to say to man apart from the Son. And now the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, communicates it to a messenger. 
translated as an, as an angel, but all the characteristics or the things said about this angel shows it's not an ordinary angel, it's some person, not on earth. This person came from heaven. And John was so uh, overwhelmed with his presence, he fell at his feet several times to worship him, and the angel or the messenger said, don't worship me. Well, was it any ordinary being on earth, or had somebody come from the glory world? All right, then this messenger, number four, gave the revelation to the apostle John in the chain of communication. And now John, as we've read, he is told to send it to the angel, messengers of the seven churches. How many know that the angels do not look after the churches? How many know that I'm the angel here? <laughs> hey, am I a broken wing? All the backbiters where they've been biting me in the back, you know. <laughs> No, to the messenger of the church. No angels are in charge of churches, but to the minister of the church, or the ministry of the church here, the seven messengers. Uh, and uh, the very fact that uh, the things that are addressed to these angels, write to the angel of the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. Write to the angel of the church at Sardis. You've got a name that you live, but you're dead. Write to the angel of the church at La Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold, and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, he's not writing to ordinary angels unless they're fallen angels. The things that are attributed to these angels and churches are attributed to ministry. So I don't believe that the angels of the seven churches are uh, angelic spirit beings. They are human beings, and the Greek word simply is messenger. And you have to check out, as I've said before, whether it's referring to an angelic messenger or the Lord Jesus Christ as the Jehovah angel, the angel of the Lord, or referring to human beings uh, as angels. So uh, I would represent here the messenger, the ministry of the church, uh, as I believe it represents here, and then with the eldership and so forth. All right? And so the word goes from John, and he writes and sends the letter. I'm glad the postman didn't get the letters mixed up. Be terrible for the church at Ephesus to get the, the letter from Laodicea. Or the church of Philadelphia to get the church from the letter from Sardis and say, hey, you got our box number mixed up, mailman. There was a particular letter to each of the messengers and each of the churches. Then the messenger of the church, a senior ministry, whoever he was, he was then to communicate in this divine chain of communication, he was to communicate it to the local church, to the congregation. The city in the church, the church in the city, the city in the church, the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, church of, of Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So divine communication and then in turn to complete the divine chain of communication, each of these local churches were represented by a candlestick, a lampstand to be a light in the city to warn the world. Otherwise, we're not there just to shine as a beautiful golden candlestick and just smoke. We're not allowed to smoke. We're supposed to send out light. Seven golden candlesticks. All right, so I believe we have the sevenfold chain of communication that we have here. And you'll notice one other thought before we move on. None of these letters were sent to headquarters. They came from headquarters. How many know where the headquarters of Waverley Christian Fellowship is? Hands up. Oh, I'm sorry, some of you new members, we haven't told you where headquarters is. <laughs> headquarters is up there. 
Jesus is the head of the church. So headquarters is here. Anytime you want to make contact with headquarters, just start speaking in the spirit and you get a hotline right through the headquarters. Aren't you glad for that? So you don't have to send the letters to box 666. <laughs> headquarters is always with us. I'm so glad because some headquarters on earth would, um, well, you know what they would. Now I want you to go down to the bottom of your sheet now. You've got to write a lot tonight. We've got to catch up from last week. I just wanted to get your attention last week. Now on the bottom of sheet one, it is really interesting to go through every reference. And because we're going to be answering, I hope, some questions, well, you know, what about the secret rapture? Does Jesus come as a thief in the night? And so forth and so forth. What about the last trumpet? What about the 97 years tribulation? All the rest of it. It's really interesting to go through Pauline eschatology on the second coming because we're going to be moving, not tonight, but next week, back into the epistle to the Thessalonians. So listen carefully as you write at the same time. In my study on the events concerning the second coming, in all Paul's writings, 13 epistles, question mark after Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote it myself, but there's difference of opinion, so we'll agree to disagree agreeably. Uh, 13 epistles, if Paul wrote Hebrews, 14 epistles. But this is the references to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Pauline eschatology. We have one reference to the coming of the Lord in Romans 2, verse 5. We have these references to the second coming in Corinthians. 1, 7, 11, 26, 15, 23, 24, chapter 15, verse 51 to 56. In the second epistle to the Corinthian church, there are no references to the second coming, not one. In Galatians, there is no reference to the second coming in the epistle to the Galatian church. In Ephesians, we possibly have an allusion to the second coming when it says in the dispensation of the fullness of times he'll gather together all things in one in Christ. Possibly, okay? In Colossians, we only have one reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now because and this is why I've called the uh, First and Second Thessalonians the Second Coming Epistles. First and Second Thessalonians have the most references, and I believe, okay, if I upset your eschatological apple carts, we'll pray for your coins, your corns, not your coins, your, <laughs> your corns afterwards, okay? In First and Second Thessalonians, of all Pauline revelation except First Corinthians, we have outlined, I believe, by Paul, the details and the order of events pertaining to the second coming in Pauline eschatology. So we have more references to the second coming in First and Second Thessalonians than all of Paul's epistles put together. That's what I'm saying. So in First Thessalonians we have chapter one, uh, one verse ten, chapter two nineteen. We'll be picking these up as we go through chapter three thirteen, chapter four verse thirteen to eighteen, chapter five one to eleven verse twenty three. In Second Thessalonians we have chapter one seven through to ten, chapter two one through to twelve, chapter three and verse five. And as we're going to see together, First Thessalonians deals with the coming of Christ, 
2 Thessalonians deals with the coming of Antichrist. We have one reference to the second coming in 1 Timothy, as we have on the overhead, the address. In 2 Timothy, we have two verses referring to the coming, chapter 4, verse 1 and 8. In Titus, we have one reference to the second coming. Hebrews, if Paul wrote it, but we have one reference to the second coming. In the little epistle to Philemon, the personal epistle, the masterpiece, uh, there was no references of the second coming. And then in Philippians, we have one reference to the second coming. So I've done all that to show that if we want to look at the order of events and Pauline eschatology about the second coming, well, what about the rapture, what about the tribulation, what about the antichrist, what about, what, what about anything, this, that and the other, Thessalonians, 1st and Thessalonians, the epistles of the second coming give us a general order of events pertaining to the coming of Christ, Pauline eschatology, and woven in with that will be 1st Corinthians. Okay, so it gives you an overview of Pauline eschatology as far as reference to the second coming. Next week I'm going to give you uh, a sheet that gives an outline of every reference to the second coming in Paul's epistles of the Thessalonians. Okay, I hope that uh, we've got hold of that. All right, now I want us to go to our sheet tonight. Down the bottom of sheet one, I'll finish up saying, John and Paul give us a general order of events as pertaining to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are given in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I want you to listen carefully and I'll try and slow down a little bit. Am I going too fast? Hands up. I was born in a hurry, as you know, and always in a hurry. There's so much to say and so little time to say it. I want to present to you a proposition before we launch into our second sheet tonight and you're going to have to think. It won't hurt you to think, honestly. I'll pray for your brains if they hurt. They told me in America that I had water on the brain. I said, well, a tap on the head would soon fix that. Uh, are you awake? Okay. All right, the famous line. You know how important and how much revelation is in that line, don't you? It's the most powerful revelation in this church, that line. It's what hangs on it that makes it important. But take it away, we've got nothing to hang anything on. So that line is really important. And this is what really agitates those who get the tapeworms. Because they can't see that line. And they're trying to figure out what's on that line. But it's all right. You'll get it. still here. In the Old Testament, OT, or what the Bible refers to as former days, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us in the person of his Son. Now as we go through the Old Testament 
God spoke through the prophets, or let's put it all together, the law, Christ's threefold division of the Old Testament, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. God spoke. And over the approximately 4,000 years, we assume, over this period of time, there were numerous prophecies concerning the first coming. Let's put it up here. Uh, I want to give you a sort of present to you a proposition here. So over the Old Testament, the former days, approximately 4,000 years, whatever, the law, the Psalms and the prophets, there were numerous prophecies concerning the first coming. We're going to look at some of them. And when this generation that was alive to the first coming of the Lord, when they got hold of the scriptures and began to study the law, the Psalms and the prophets and the details of the first coming, the scribes, the official interpreters of the word, got so confused. They said, well, one scripture says this about his coming. We're going to go through just some examples of that tonight. And then someone else said, oh no, but this prophet says he's going to come. Oh, oh no, 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 but, no, but that can't be right. This prophet says he's going to come. Uh, well, how can he come, 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 come? If he's going to come, come. And you see, all through the Old Testament we have, and you'll have to put this word down later on, we have a whole bunch of un... That is spelled unchronological anyway. Whatever. We have a whole bunch of unchronological prophecies concerning the first coming. And the job of the hermeneuticians and the scribes in this period of his first coming was to try and arrange in chronological order all the unchronological prophecies concerning his first coming. And the tragedy is that they missed it and killed him. Right? Is that right? Is that right? Yes. Now, anticipating. Here we are. We're living in the time, the era, the period, probably, of the second coming. How many think we could be? But whether Jesus comes back in 100 years from now, or 200, or 5, or we've got to occupy till he comes. Right? So now our problem is, the same as their problem, and I think we are doing as brilliant a job as they did. So now we come to the New Testament. See, here's the Old Testament. Here we've got the New Testament. And we've got a whole bunch of prophecies. And uh, let me say this before I say that. Uh, the Old Testament, though speaking of the first and second coming, particularly emphasizes the first coming. So the Old Testament saints particularly look forward to Messiah's first coming. There are scriptures that speak of both, as we'll see, in the same verse. Couldn't figure that out. But we as New Testament saints, we're looking forward to his second coming. And so in the New Testament, we have a bunch of prophecies that uh, point to his second coming. So, oh, when Christ comes, he's going to come as a thief in the night. And when he comes, he's going to blow a trumpet. A thief always blows a trumpet. We're going to have a great time later on. 
as if anybody's left. And so now here we have a whole bunch of unchronological prophecies concerning the second coming and us hermeneuticians, buy my book on the 70-week prophecy, uh, us <laughs> hermeneuticians are trying with our brilliance <laughs> to arrange in chronological order the unchronological prophecies concerning his second coming. And the only lesson we learn from history is we never learn from history. And just as they missed his first coming through faulty hermeneutics, I wonder if we could miss some things now at the second coming for the same mistake. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense to everybody? Let's go to two verses before we move to your filling on the sheet. I'd like you to go to uh, Genesis 49. Now, this, these two scriptures are not on your sheet, so you could add them. Genesis 49, verse 10. I beg your pardon? I'm sorry. It is on there. Oh. Oh, the beloved people would give me a sheet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, well, as long as you've got it. <laughs> all right, that's all right. <laughs> I haven't got a sheet even. All right, it's on your sheet. <laughs> Thank you. So Genesis 49 and verse 10, is that it? Okay, now here we have a prophecy of the coming of the Lord. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet, unto Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the be, uh, gathering of the people be. How many know that that's referring to the coming of the Lord? Is it referring to the first coming or the second coming? How many say first? How many say second? How many say in between? How many haven't got a clue? Verse 11. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his asses called unto the choice vine. How many know in his first coming there were two donkeys? So does verse 11 refer to the first coming or second coming? How many would say first coming? Yes, because when he comes to the second coming, is he coming on a donkey or a white horse? You better get riding white horses brothers and sisters learn to ride because I got mine up there. I'm not coming on a donkey. Okay, what's verse 10 referring to? First or second coming? Now how many say first? We're getting the unity of the faith here. It's absolutely marvelous. No, in those two verses we've got first and second coming. Okay, let's go over to one other one, quick, and then we've got to move to our sheet. Isaiah, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Now, you know what we say in New Zealand, if you can't convince them, confuse them. All right, we're more familiar with this one. How many would recognize in Isaiah 61 verses 1 through to 3 
that we have first and second coming here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. How many know that when Jesus went into the synagogue and was given the book of Isaiah, he opened and read to the middle of the verse and then closed the book? Why do you think he closed the book? Why didn't he say, and the day of vengeance of our God? How many know the first coming was not the day of vengeance? All right, what, go, go over to chapter 63. Who is this that cometh from Edom? We've, got, we've dyed garments from Bosra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Question, wherefore are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads in the wine fat? Response, reply, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I'll stain all my, um, all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. First coming, second coming. And the year of my redeemed is come. To me, it's so powerful, this, that here Jesus in the first coming, he goes into... The synagogue is given Isaiah, reads Isaiah 1 to, th 1 to 3, cuts off in the middle of the verse, and he closed the book and sat down. A physical, symbolic act. But in Isaiah chapter 63, and it's interesting that in between uh, 63, Isaiah 62, you have the bride, uh, the bride of Christ. In Isaiah 63, vengeance. No vengeance back here, but the day of vengeance. So, between Isaiah 61 and 63, two comings. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.